Hello and welcome to episode 212 of What Most People Think and this is coming to you live from the Fringe here, live from the Fringe, I am staying once again in student accommodation because I'm so tight and I'm starting to question the logic of that because this morning I had to go out and buy a fan for the room because uh, it's it's just thermonuclear hot and, and ask for a better mattress and when you're around loads of young people checking in, loads of young funky types and all... The receptionists are about 21, as a 46-year-old man saying, um, if, if, any chance of a, of a better mattress, please? I'm, I don't know if I can do two weeks on this. Just hunched over and already laughing at my misfortune. And uh, he's, he's Leo Curse, who's co-hosting this week. Uh, welcome back to the show, Leo. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I mean, you are, you sound like a man, that, that the laughter of a man who's so pleased he's not of the fringe. That felt like what, what that was. Yeah, I mean, I did it. I did it so many, so many years. I think this is the first year I'm not going up at all. And uh, yeah, so 10, 10 or eleven years, I, I did it. And uh, yeah, man, I, f- I feel your pain. I was always trying to save money. Like I used to, I used to stay in uh, da- Darius's box room. Uh, so I've got got a mate who's a comedian up there, and I'd stay in his stay in his little room on a little inflatable mattress. But it would deflate throughout the night, so you'd wake up at like you know six in the morning, just lying, so, uh, like half your body would be on the on the floor. I mean, it is, it is shocking. The, the choice was this. So th- this accommodation is about, well, it works out about 120, 140 pounds a night. I mean, we are to- we're talking for, what, what is, what's that barge that the refugees are on? Um, Bibby Stockholm. Bibby Stockholm. They would refuse to live in this. I swear to God, like, <laughs> I, I swear to God, the temperature in my room, there would yeah. be if 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 I'd come here from a from a war torn country or or somewhere else or you know, and claimed yeah. asylum, there would be human rights lawyers outside my fucking bedroom last night. Yeah, but I mean, sending sending refugees to the fringe, I mean, haven't they suffered enough? Be, you know, and then <laughs> then they got to walk past. The, then you got all these amateur dramatics like lying on the ground. That's just going to remind them of the war zone they left their their uh, wives and children in. They'll be getting, yeah, they'll be getting, getting, take, take me back, take me back to the war zone. I mean, it is, I mean, it's always, look, as I've got older and, and I won't lie, you know, being able to sell a few tickets here does make it a more enjoyable experience on, on some level, coming up with a bit of certainty about uh, audience numbers. But it did make me actually, like, you'd think that the fringes you did when you were younger would be the ones you would romanticise, but those are the worst. <laughs> I just felt sick, the whole, the whole yeah. train coming up and. I was yeah. almost always depressed straight afterwards. So, like a lot of things in modern Britain, the, the true way to enjoy the fringe is from the relative comfort of middle age. Yeah, absolutely. And how, how does the fringe feel this year? Because I know um, the SNP have sort of brought through measures that have been restricting the amount of accommodation. I, th- I don't think the SNP are really fully behind the Edinburgh fringe because they see it as uh, England invading Scotland. But the, <laughs> they've sort of, they've sort of uh, brought through measures that stop. Um, st- some landlords uh, giving the like booting students out during the summer and, and renting out to to yes. fringe goers. 
that was in play last year, so that's what's called right. the up, the upward pressure. So I would say, like right now, if you wanted to come up at the weekend or even during the week and book um, a, a budget hotel like an Ibis or something like that, you're looking at three hundred upwards of three hundred pounds a fucking night. So as much as much as I like, so earlier to get a fan in my room, I I went out to try and find an Argos, and I was so pleased with myself when there was no Argos, but I realised that there was a Ryman's, and just a moment of inspiration, I thought a Ryman's <laughs> might have a fan. And I felt that that was probably the best moment I've had at the fringe in a lot of ways. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, there is sort of a, a goose that lays this golden egg in Edinburgh every year, and and the SNP do seem to look at that goose and think, I fucking hit that goose. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill that bastard goose one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be it's, it's much better when when August is is just uh, it's just us. It's just us. I mean, it, 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 yeah, I, I do. Th- the problem is, is it's a little bit like Ibiza, where every year people say oh, it's too expensive. No one's going to come back this year. It would yeah. seem, uh, based on initial sort of um, assessments, that that there are more people at this year's Edinburgh Fringe. Now, I guess some of that is that last year there was still that hangover of COVID and people being yeah. worried. Uh, but but yeah, num- that's what will probably happen. Numbers will be up year on year, and everyone will go, "Oh, it's fine," but it's not fine. <laughs> yeah, I went up the I went up the year before, like twenty twenty one, was it when like COVID was like right in the middle of happening? So it was hardly the fringe was tiny. There was only like ten percent of the shows, and it was the best year ever because I mean I sold out. I sold out every show. I couldn't do half of them because I got COVID and nearly died. But like the the ones that I could do were were uh, were sold out. It was brilliant. Well, th- well, that was the the perfect outcome for the SNP. Is that it was ex- it was like. Scottish shows for Scottish people, and, Le- <laughs> and Leo Kirst nearly died. Uh, new new patrons. So remember, if you become a patron of the show, there are loads of, of benefits. Just this week, just this last week, uh, I had a couple of guest tickets available for a preview in London, which I put out uh, to the VIPs. Uh, and if you're a board member, you you know, like for example, today with Leo being on the show, I often give board members a tip off as to who's on, and they ask uh, a couple of questions. Uh, related to the guests so those will be coming up later in the show so you just go to patreon you search jeff norcott what most people think you look at the tiers think about which one you'd like i mean if you are a vip you get a guaranteed question read out in the patreon only monthly episode which only goes out to patreon so we have only one new patreon this week and we normally as you know leo we, we try and mock the guy or girl Usually a guy. I mean, these days you have to <laughs> you have to do a lot of statistical caveats for things that are numerically quite negligible. But there you go. Uh, it's twenty twenty three. Uh, this person calls himself R R R, and and now people are trying to fuck me up the new patrons by because I used to speculate on their jobs and their personality based on their name. But there's so not it's much like a I, pirate. Yes, it does sound like a pirate or a farmer. I reckon you're a oh, farmer yeah. and and you and you fuck your livestock. Um, but you you describe it as sleeping with colleagues. I reckon that that is. Oh, I never I never date someone from work, and by by that you mean goats. Yeah, yeah. He's technically not dating them because he doesn't take them to dinner. Well, he does in a way because as a farmer, your job is to feed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, ever since you were born, up on now that's getting a bit fucking uh, noncy. Um, domain talking points. So our super patron David Domain uh, keeps an eye on lot, uh, every week's episode and picks up on little things and corrects us and adds little stats in. I mentioned last week, uh, which is something that will make sense to yourself, is that people mistake the clout of social media. So, for example, if something has one hundred and fifty thousand likes, they'll think this is what 
Britain thinks, but an average constituency, I said, was 150,000. What would you think the average size of a constituency would be, Leo, in, in Man, the UK? I, I hadn't even thought of it. I, I'd have thought, though, uh, given that, you know, the amount of votes that somebody usually gets to win is about, I don't know, 25,000. I'd have thought... Uh, 60,000? I mean, that is quick maths. That is, that, that's good going, mate. You're not far off it, actually. Um, it's 73,000. 73,000. Uh, so the smallest one uh, is 20,000 on the Western Isles. Um, I mean, it is amazing that their seat sort of counts the same as one with 120,000 people in. Uh, the Isle of Wight is 113,000. So that's kind of odd, I think, that the Isle of Wight only gets one seat. Given yeah. that when you go there, they all—I mean, one side of the island feels very fucking different to the other. Yeah, and also I think I think Britain would be a better place if the Isle of Wight had a lot more seats. <laughs> In what respect? Well, you just think it'd be more right wing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, mate. I don't know if you've been to Ventnor, which is the other side of the island. That is that is like Shoreditch, uh, <laughs> the Isle of Shoreditch. It, 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 it's pretty funky out there. Is, is the Isle of Wight getting gentrified with hipsters? Because they, they keep doing this. They keep moving out to like you know they're doing it in in Kent, moving down down the down the Medway to all these uh, all these towns. Yeah, Folkestone. They made it. Yeah, they made it out to the Isle of Wight now as well. I mean, when I was a kid, Folkestone was like a joke for where old people go to die. Like so. Yeah. Was Eastbourne to an extent, but Folkestone was Folkestone now is proper proper Shoreditch on Sea. Right. Yeah. Man. I went down there and it was like. Like you, you know, like the, the places that used to sell chips. God, we just sound like old farts now. This, this is. I mean, there, there, there's going to be a risk in this show generally because I'll just uh, let you know some of the subjects coming up. We're going to have a quick talk about uh, politics, the government's small boat week, <laughs> which went really well for them. Uh, and then we're going to talk about um, Snow White. Uh, there's a Disney reboot of Snow White, but it's already had some strange PR. And I'm going to say up front that what you're going to hear is two gammons getting angry about Snow White. And I know it's kind of ridiculous, <laughs> men of our age getting angry about this, but I do think that there are one or two uh, aspects to this story which are, are interesting, you know, in the, ter- in the way that modern films are commissioned and developed and, and, you know, whether or not they have any chance of success if they follow that model. And we might talk about the lesbian nana cop. If you yeah. if you know, you know. Um, if not, we will explain that story to you um, as as it comes up. Um, but just just one question, actually, because as I say, I reach out to the board members for questions for people appearing on the show. Um, David Domain wanted to ask you, Leo, how you keep Louis Schaefer, uh, Louis Schaefer, under control on headliners on GB News. <laughs> he also wants to say that you're you yourself are marvelous on GB News. But obviously, you're quite, you know, you're quite on the front foot yourself. What, what's it like when you've got somebody that is more like that than you? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Lewis Schaefer, like when, when he's on the show, you've sort of be- got to become the serious, you've got to become the serious person. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's wild. But he's, I'm really, like, I'm really sort of in awe of Lewis Schaefer. I've always found him, like, an amazing stand-up comedian. Uh, but now he's got like he's got like genuine insight now. I don't know if it's because he's been doing headliners for for two years, so he's finally had to uh, read a book. But uh, but yeah, he's like he's really he's really he's really um, insightful. But yeah, he's like he's diff- <laughs> He can be difficult to difficult to manage. But I mean, do you get nervous sometimes? Because obviously we're we're all at spectrums on the kind of like edginess thing. So probably you're my Louis Schaefer. You know, I'm going yeah. back towards the safe, comfy slippers middle. Um, so <laughs> there must be moments. So so you know, obviously, like actually, that's an interesting point with yourself because I remember when when I knew you was having a baby and stuff, and I, I thought, ah, oh, this this will this will chill Leo out. Do you think that you've chilled out? Because I, I, I seen your Twitter the other day. I think it's going oh. the other way. 
No, no, I think having a baby makes you more right-wing because babies, uh, especially <laughs> in the, few, the first year of life, they, they look like little UKIP counsellors. So, uh, you know, you're naturally... I mean, you can't... They're not speaking, so you don't know what they're saying, but, you know, I can tell what they're thinking and I'm pretty sure it's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's all pretty right-wing. Um, and, yeah, so, like, I think I've become... With her being a daughter as well, I've become more concerned about uh, about society and about uh, you know who's coming across the channel. What ideas do they have around women and all this sort of stuff? It, it's made me, you know, but when I was just a single bloke just running about, I didn't really care about you know. Oh, send whoever over the channel, like you know, it doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, do whatever you want with society. I can. I'm six foot six. I can handle myself. But um, yeah, when you got when you got a tiny little daughter, you know, all of a sudden things like. Um, Things like uncontrolled immigration, also dangerous dogs. Uh, no. yeah, mate, mate, we, this <laughs> yeah. has come up on the show before, and I, I, I'm no, no apologies to the staffy community, but Jesus Christ, <laughs> how many times? I mean, that, now there's that new America breed, aren't you? But staffies yeah. just can't see it. Staff, people who own staffies are like, you know, that woman that's in a, a, a relationship with a really violent guy that's so loving when he's sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, like, why can't you just get a Springer Spaniel? What's wrong with a Springer Spaniel's yeah. a dog? It's a really nice dog. It's, you know, you never hear about, you know, somebody saying, oh, yeah, our, our little Springer Spaniel, Rosie was, uh, she was always so nice around the kids. Yeah, and she continued to be nice around the kids, even when, you know, they were sticking the, their thumb up, up its butt or whatever. You know, like, I don't know. I, people, actually, when I used to work for the police, uh, people got those um, pit bulls and things because you couldn't, you couldn't get done for owning a dog in the same way as you could get done if you had a knife. Uh, for protection so if, if you're a pit bull nobody's going to mess with you in the estates uh, and also mm. you can you know you can set the set the pit bull on people and stuff and use it for intimidation and stuff like that and they used to they used to grab people's cats and use them for training the dogs for fighting and all sorts of stuff oh, it was really really know. nasty yeah probably not the cheeriest stuff to talk about in the podcast but no, no, or, or, or a good little tip for anybody there that wants to feel safe on the streets uh, it's better yeah, to have yeah. an aggressive dog than be caught with a with a shiv we're just going to do a quick thank you and a fuck you. Leo's going to do the fuck you. I'm going to do the thank you. And it's just a repetition of Ryman's for having a fan. And, and I bought I bought the fan home. It was 30 quid. I brought it back to this student accommodation. And, and I look, I got out the manual and I thought, fuck that. I'm not using the manual. I sem- <laughs> assembled it. I, I eyeballed it, Leo. So I think I got I think I got extra, extra bloke points. Speaking of blokes, my book, The British Bloke Decoded, uh, is out now in less than a month. It's out in the middle of September. So if you appreciate this podcast, if you feel like you want to do me a solid, pre-orders really do a lot for my blood pressure. So just go on Amazon or Waterstones or wherever you get your thing, uh, get, you get your books, I guess, uh, and, uh, and pre-order it. That would be greatly appreciated. Okay, the fuck you over to Leo. Yeah, this is another shot, but uh, but it's Waitrose. And I know you'd never normally find a Scottish person who is actually been in Waitrose. But when I, when I moved to London, everybody's, everybody's like, oh, Waitrose is so, you know, so great. If you ever win the lottery, go to Waitrose, the food's so amazing. And Waitrose is now terrible. I got a, I got a ready meal from Waitrose the other day, uh, chicken fettuccine. And let me tell you, it was the worst chicken fettuccine I've ever had in my life. The, the sauce was all runny. Uh, it didn't stick to the pasta. Uh, which was actually a blessing because the sauce was horrible. It was just this sort of like thin, gloopy, like it was like a pot. It was like a pot noodle, and everything in Waitrose, apart from the meat counter, which is like a proper butcher's, everything is just uh, is terrible. But you're still paying. You're still paying through the nose. It's insane. They're party food and stuff. It's like eight quid for a little little thing of like you know little uh, balls or whatever. And even man, like I'm a big fan of yellow stickers. 
So I go into places, get the get the yellow sticker stuff. Marks and Spencers, they do a proper discount. You know what I mean? It's like it mm. comes down to like a quarter or something. You're like, whoa, I'm getting this like mint food for, for however much. And uh, Waitrose, they like knock 10 pence off. And it's like, well, I'm risking salmonella for 10 pence <laughs> off. This is I just... Think- I think the thing with Waitrose is, is I think that the premium is for who you won't have to shop next to. That is the <laughs> yeah. unspoken truth of Waitrose, isn't it? We set this price high enough so you will not have to be around people fighting their kids all the way around the Waitrose. This is exclusionary <laughs> money. And I'm with you on the, on the price of fucking ready meals as well. Do you remember yeah. like, like like the cheapest meal option was just like you just get a pizza, one of the ones that, you know, always they say it's as good as a restaurant. It never is. There was like one the other day, it was like a co-op basic one, which was like £4.50. And I thought, uh, the problem is the one in Pizza Express is now £18. So I yeah. guess the problem is, Leo, is if you live long enough, you'll go through inflation and everything will just seem expensive. Yeah, yeah, and I'm terrified. If it's like this now, what's it going to be like when we're like 75? It's going to be, <laughs> we're going to be like, you know, it's going to be like the Weimar Republic. We're going to need like wheelbarrows to carry our money down to get some like shitty frozen pizza. All right, let's get talking as we're sort of drifting into politics. Let's have a quick chat about the last week in politics. Okay, so so obviously it's it's August, you know, uh, Parliament is in recess. So the Tories, seeing this gap in the market, quite cleverly thought, right, it's really time for us to own the the sort of boats coming across the channel. So well, they had something, and I think it was officially called Small Boats Week, which, I mean, if you wanted to just give us something a shit name, Small Boats yeah. Week, that sounds like that sounds like a project at school. Or some sort of uh, regatta on the Thames, you know what yeah. I mean? Everybody, everybody gets out in their little sailboat, it sounds, sounds quite nice and, and English. It sounds really fun. And then, so what's happened is, is that not not unreasonably, people have sort of turned around. I think people are starting to, to realise that maybe there's not a lot that can be done about it. Like, um, or certainly not that, that the government can or or this government can or will do about it. And I don't, I don't see how it would be different, particularly um, under Labour. But one of the problems the Tories ran into is Lee Anderson, the tough talking. Like, T, Lee Anderson has got a bit of a brief, hasn't he? He's sort of like the Louis Schaefer. Of um, <laughs> of the Tory party, where he's like, talk tough, and we'll kind of go, and they'll all go on the, the press and go, well, that's just Lee, you know, Lee is Lee. And, it, and it's very useful for them to have somebody that sort of epitomises certain Red Wall sort of sentiment, uh, sentiments. Yeah. Problem is, is that, so he sort of said, if people don't like it, they can fuck off back to France, which is obviously, you know, it's very ripe language for a politician. It's not, it's not really where I want politicians' language to be, but it's kind of useful for the Tories to go, well, you know, I'm not sure about the language Lee used, but they, they sort of fall in behind it. Problem for them is, is he's then gone out and given an interview where he said, well, we, 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 yeah, we've, we've essentially failed on immigration over 13 years. We, we basically failed. <laughs> and I yeah. just wonder for the Tories, they're then sitting there going, um, Lee, when we said you can say what the fuck you like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought that language, like, I mean, I get your point about it being, you know, the Tories can, can say like, you know, like he's speaking for, he's representing you know, some some unspoken voice in in the UK, but I don't know. I thought it I thought it handed ammunition. I'm a big fan of Lee, uh, and I'm I'm mates with him and stuff. But like, um, I thought it handed ammunition to the other side. I think when you're talking about immigration, you got you got to phrase it in a way that brings people on board. And you wouldn't get like um, Douglas Murray speaking like that. You know, he'd make he'd make the point in a way that's much more palatable to people who show up in Waitrose. 
And, you know, then we can, then you can bring people on board, you know, change the public perception. Because I think, you know, people are scared of looking racist, but really nobody wants like unvetted, like unknown uh, people from, a lot of them from failed states with violent medieval ideologies just coming across in, in thousands, coming across the channel. And then we're having to pay to, to put them up in, uh, in travel lodges and ibises and stuff. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a terrible system. And I think the, the asylum system, it's everybody's talking about, oh, the government, the government's failed and stuff like that. But the government can only work within the parameters of the law. So, you know, you've got laws that say that if you, if you, if you arrive without papers, you can say, you know, whatever country you're from, whatever age you are, uh, you can say you're Christian, you can say you're gay, so you can't be sent back. So lawyers and NGOs uh, coach the, the cross-channel migrants in how to claim asylum. So they're not they're not asylum seekers, but they manage to claim asylum. It's like you know, like uh, not being unemployed or signing on in different towns. Um, you know, you can still there's ways to fiddle the benefit system. There's ways to to fiddle the asylum system. Yeah, I, so, I think that that's true. I think it's a bit it's a bit kind of um, it's a bit po face when people act like that. No, no, I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know what the percentages are of people that are working the system in that way. But to for some people to act like that that's not a component of, of, yeah. of what's what's coming across on the boats. And and every single time, like we've had these tragic situations of, of boats capsizing, lives being lost. You go, Well, one thing I'm sure everybody everybody can agree with is that this can't fucking carry on. This is yeah. fucking like that this is horrific, you know. Yeah, and the one this week there was apparently there was a gun battle. There, there's a shootout in the, the camp in Calais. Like shots were fired by the gangsters and stuff. So everybody rushed onto the boats. And that's why that's why their the lives were sadly lost, because they, they sort of rushed into the water, you know, without doing I don't know if they do like, you know, uh, safety checks like when you get on EasyJet. But you know, they, they rushed on in, in too much of too much of a hurry to, to get across uh, you know before the police grabbed them. I do think that there are some on the left that just sort of like, they know it's really tricky. I think you're right, right, like being concerned about uncontrolled migration is an incredibly mainstream position. But there are some people on the left that their answer is, is to go, safe passage. And I just get, I've always got the impression that the phrase safe passage, it feels great to say. I, I, yeah. I should say, like, when I just said it now, because even as an idea, like if you think it's a very fundamental thing for humans to have safe passage anywhere, whether it's a train journey, safe passage, like a safe journey, you go, all right, fine. Call it that. How much of that do you think should be happening? So, what if you had safe passage? We've already got record like my, um, immigration numbers, net migration. If that doubled, what what you know? Because you still need to talk. Like safe passage isn't a fucking end to the conversation. Yeah, it's it's, it's ridiculous, and it's like one of those things. It's the easiest virtue signal because if you're Gary Lineker or Carol Vorderman or whatever, you can say, "Oh yeah, we should have open borders. We should have safe passage for ev everyone." Knowing that other people are going to make the difficult an unpleasant but absolutely essential decision to, to not allow, uh, you know, millions and millions of people from, you know, the third world to, to just descend on the UK all at once. So, I mean, it's, it's virtue signaling for them. I don't know. I think the government could could work within the, the law to, like, change perception just by putting, instead of placing, they always place uh, asylum seekers in uh, sort of deprived communities that haven't asked for them. Stick them right next. Get, you know, get those shipping container uh, villages and stick them in Gary Lineker's street. Just block the street, fill it with shipping containers full of uh, full of uh, cross-channel migrants. Same with Carol Vordham and Lily Allen. Like, or pass a law that says that anybody who tweets, "Oh, we should have safe passage. We should, you know, take in take in more people." They have to put them up in their house. It's you know, people have to live with the the um, consequences of, the, of their opinions. I think.
that's one thing that's always annoyed me about the way that the working class has characterised as racist, where, where they've always been on the front line of whatever immigration yeah. is happening, absorbing, working with people, getting in relationships with people, their kids going to school with those people. And at the end of all of that, they're sort of characterised, like if ever you hear a radio comedy, if they characterise a racist person, it's either someone who's really posh, like stupidly posh, or yeah. someone going, well, I don't know, this Bibby Stockholm <laughs> thing, I hope they turn their guns on it. And you think, we're actually, the, we're at, you know that integration thing, we're the ones that historically have done it. And I think circling yeah. back to your point about Lee Anderson, I think that that was the problem with the language that he used because immediately it goes away from the, because, you know, saying fuck off back to France, it's, I mean, like there's, there's a cigarette paper between that and, you you know, a very familiar racist sentiment. Now, I'm yeah. sure that that is not, well, I would hope that that's what, not what Lee feels in his heart. But it's an easy out, isn't it? You don't want to let people wriggle away from what is a really fucking difficult conversation. Right, we are going to talk now about... Snow White, right? <laughs> and, and this is this is going to be two middle-aged blokes getting annoyed about a Disney reboot. And it, I, I'm, I'm aware that that sounds faintly ridiculous, but, I'm, but I do think it's, <laughs> it, it, it's relevant. Um, so Disney are making a Snow White reboot uh, next. It's coming out next year. It's got the actress uh, Rachel Ziegler in it, who's been making, who's been doing a bunch of interviews where she sort of kind of shits on the original quite heavily, right? So she talks about, um, she keeps mentioning the fact that the film was made in, uh, it was made in 1937, so we're not going to do that. And you go, well, yeah, yeah, obviously, I think that that is fairly um, sort of expected. She talks about how the film had a stalky element in. First things first, I don't think that pointing out that really old films had stuff that doesn't seem okay by today's standards, is it's not intelligence, is it, Leo? It's just, it's the most, it, it literally saying st stuff was different before. yeah. It's always yeah, and, been different before. And for some reason, they do it about opinions, but they're not like, you don't see students coming out and being like, oh my God, this film from the 30s, the, the cars, the cars are all weird and people are, <laughs> people are riding horses and they're dressed different. It's like, it's just the opinions that, they're, that they think is uh, abhorrent that, that have changed. Um, and yeah, for somebody like Walt Disney, to make a film in 1937, that could have had a whole lot of worse opinions in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Walt Disney yeah, was if the you, <laughs> It's funny, actually. You're right. When you watch some of those old Disney films, you go, look, I, I, that could have been worse. Let's be honest. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That could, I, I mean, even some of the, the family films from the 80s, I put up a stand-up clip this week, but like some of the stuff in The Goonies, I, I hadn't remembered that it starts with a geezer hanging himself, the original cut. It starts with a geezer right. hanging himself in prison. And there's also a fat kid called Chunk who does the truffle shuffle. So, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is, sorry, I mean, that'll always be a great scene. But, I mean, going back to the, the Snow White thing, uh, she, I mean, it's worth just searching this out, by the way, to watch the interview, because I think it's not just what she says. It's the kind of sort of... Um, supercilious tone of how she says it. It's, she's, it's very self-congratulatory. And she goes on to take great delight in denigrating the role of the prince, you know, obviously Prince Charming, to the point where she sort of intimates that her co-star might get cut out of the film, which I thought was like a <laughs> fucking dick move, you know? Like, you're working with this geezer, and then he watches yeah. that, and she's like, hey, he, he might not even make it. And she says, she actually uses the, the phrase, I'm delighted to say that uh, this isn't really a love story. Now... I know that there are a lot of modern progressive parents that want constantly want films that make sure that their daughter is going to be a swashbuckling <laughs> pioneer for social justice. I don't yeah. know if, like, you know, I don't know if Boy Meets Girl has gone totally out of fashion, has it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, I don't... It's, 
there seems to be a backlash against this stuff in the States. You're seeing films with more traditional messaging, like the, the Tom Cruise Maverick film, doing really mm. well. And then Disney stuff, because like, we got, we've got Disney Plus uh, here. And uh, so I watched some of the, some of the films. Like, there's one called Strange World, which was, which was a big flop, uh, one of their animated films. And it's like, man, they lay it on so thick. It's like you can have characters in films that are women or or gay or uh, or mixed race or, or whatever, um, but just part of the film. I mean, if you look at Aliens, it's got like all of that stuff, but it's it's just part of the film. It doesn't like get in the way. In Strange World, it's like, and here is your gay character who is going to make this lesson about why you should be accepting to to gay people and all that sort of stuff. And they lay it on so thick. And the thing with Snow White, they're almost doing it to bait people to get to to galvanize like how Donald Trump is the the most uh, powerful tool that the democrats have to get people out voting democrat yeah i think the, the sort of right wing uh opprobrium to snow white is is the thing that's going to get like lefties to go to go and see it because they're going to see they're going to see right wing people complaining about it and think it's this tribal thing i've got to go there and i've got to eat ben and jerry's because that's the that's the ice cream that reflects my values as well so um, yeah, Re- uh, what's her name? Renny, not Renny Zellweger. Um, Rachel the- Z- Ziegler. Re- Rachel Ziegler, uh, who's actually Hispanic, funnily enough, uh, playing playing Snow White. I mean, I think, man, they're. <laughs> like, I get that they want to like the Little Mermaid is black and all that sort of stuff, but surely Snow White, surely Snow White can stay white. It's literally <laughs> the name of the film. It's not off white. It's not you know, not slightly white. It's Snow White. Like she's got to come from like some Scandinavian. Um, but but yeah, well, maybe it's that- the last bastion. You know, like like the name itself was too te- too tempting. I think I think that you make you make a good point. Is that they mobilise right? So basically, dickheads like me and you getting frustrated about it is is sort of exactly what they want. But <laughs> the problem the problem is is that why not make a film that kind of everyone likes? That yeah. you know what you know the point. If you're going to shit on the original Snow White, it was massively successful, and I pretty much guarantee that whatever this film is, it's not going to do a fraction of that. And and if you hate the original, right? If you hate so much about the original, then do not be involved in a product which kind of you know it's like a political party you go like you know we're still called the nazi party but like we looked <laughs> back at that stuff from the 30s and like we are not doing any of that you yeah. go good then have a different name and 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 disney i mean bob Iger, who's the head of disney would have been having a fucking coronary when he saw that because they've had a <laughs> string of films that have underperformed not least elemental yeah. which was like supposed to be the follow the pixar follow-up to inside out but again, they're just bashing you over the fucking head with the message. You know, like you know, like when they say at the beginning of the film, this film contains strobes. Why don't you just get it all out of the way at the beginning and go, yeah, this yeah. film wants you to think that immigration is a net positive for society. All right, now let's do the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. The 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 lay they lay it on so thick and so heavy, like it feels like you're you're getting lectured like by by some woke person at a party when all you want to do is actually enjoy the party. And especially when you're paying money, paying money to like go and sit in the cinema or stream this thing. Um, yeah, man, I think I think they've got to get away from this moralizing, hectoring, lecturing thing because people are just, man, if I'm sitting down to watch some, I want to have a good time. I don't want to... It's supposed to be escapism. And that's the problem, yeah. isn't it? Is that there are a lot of women who've probably 
for sort of thing. They know that the idea of Prince Charming is sort of faintly ridiculous and antiquated, but there's a lot of shit that is faintly ridiculous and antiquated that we're still fond for. And that's the escapism. In the same way, like if you and I, and I'm being fairly gender stereotypical, we go and see an action film, we know you can't fucking like not flinch when there's an explosion. That's not possible to do <laughs> unless you're, I don't know, unless you're deaf and you don't have any sensory perception. Yeah. We know that when James Bond fucking like lands in that train and adjusts his cufflinks, no one has ever been that cool. And, 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 and they're constantly just chipping away at the, the fantasy element of films. And I was sort of thinking, you know, I tweeted about this in response to Constantine earlier, is what other films could, could get this treatment. And I think that I think Predator is a real prime one because, you know, obviously in the film... Do you, when do you think Predator could be remade with just a BBC DJ just walking around the jungle looking for... <laughs> Predator, you see the thing with Predator is the original is Arnie against the Predator and the Predator's just violent, you know, he just comes to fucking kill people for sport and we're like, fuck you Predator, right, and we just want Arnie to beat him. I guarantee, right, if that was remade now, it would be like, oh, have we misunderstood this Predator? Actually, he's <laughs> yeah, he, like, yeah. he, as he, oh, he's, sorry, is mankind actually the problem? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, make it, just make a new thing. You don't have to like ruin an existing franchise. Like the Star Wars movies now, it's like uh, it's, it's like watching an ad break, you know. It's, it's that it's that woke, you know. It's uh, I, I I just find it, it it's it, it just gets in the way, yeah. And also, man, what's happened to the the left and what's happened to young people now? When in the nineties, when I was young, like it was, uh, we're really distrustful of sort of mainstream media and messages passed down through the through the BBC and corporations. And uh, you know you didn't trust you didn't trust the man. Now they're now left wing people and young people are like, oh, I'm going to buy this ice cream because it aligns with my values. So it doesn't align with any, any fuck. They just want to sell you ice cream. They just want to you know they just want your money. It's the same old same old thing. But for some reason now they've tricked all the lefties into into becoming their their allies and their advocates. That is genius. And I've, but I've always said one thing: Hagen Daz have never never had to tell you a single one of their values, and there's a reason for that. It's fucking yeah. great ice cream. We're just going to do a, a quick hype here. I am at the Fringe. So this week is all sold out, but I've got an extra show uh, on Saturday at 10pm. So there are tickets available for that. Uh, next Friday and Saturday are also sold out, but I'm hoping to get an extra show uh, sold out on the Saturday. And like I say, the book is available for pre-order, so do me a solid and, and order that. Um, Leo, obviously your YouTube channel goes from strength to strength. That's something people could do and create some... Well, I mean, <laughs> I put up a stand-up special recently uh, on YouTube and it's done pretty well for me. Uh, and then the revenue, uh, it, it's not much, is it, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, YouTube's great for, for reach, but yeah, you got to be you got to be like one of those multi-million subscriber channels, I think, to make a, to make a living off it. But yeah, people should go. Uh, I mean, that's a way you could basically make some money for Leo for free. Go and uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel, watch his videos, and give him a like. We're just going to talk briefly here about the autistic lesbian nana arrest. And I'm saying it in that way because if you Google those words in that succession, that will probably bizarrely get you to the story. So it was, was this in Scotland? Where, where, no, it was in, it was it was in West um, Yorkshire. 
West Yorkshire. So there was a video that came to light. And, and I'm always cautious about where you join a video, right? So we never know exactly what happened before that. So I've got some empathy for the police in that respect. But there is an arrest happening and there are a lot of police uh, on site. And there's a young girl who's 16 who we know very early on has autism because the mum keeps saying it. And I've got to say, very early on also, you get the sense that the mum is a reasonable person. You can sort of tell by the way she's communicating. You know, she's trying to inform the police officers of the situation and, and the potential problems. And, and it seems that the particular reason... So it, it transpires that this girl was 16, she'd gone out, she'd got drunk, and she was causing a hazard to herself, and that was part of the reason the police got involved. But what escalated it was that she had said that one of the officers was a lesbian like her nana. So I don't even think that she said... This is what the mum reports, right? But I don't even think she said she looks like a lesbian. She, her nan's a lesbian. She said she's a lesbian like her nana. And then you see the police officer uh, in vision, who for a lot of people would fit, you know, certain stereotypes about uh, what a same-sex attracted woman might look like, um, certainly in sort of a haircut sense. Yeah, and, and also posture. Like, she was... Standing, she's very grumpy. She's standing there with her, with her arms folded. You, Leo, this is, is this why you're so problematic. You're saying that lesbians are grumpy. <laughs> just, just the police officer ones. So she's sort of standing there, and it seems to really escalate the situation where this girl's now really freaking out, and there's a lot of police officers there. And, and, and the, the offended, and I will say offended police officer, she does seem to... Be, you know that thing that all coppers do whereby they think, all right, you've taken the piss out of me. I'm now going to assert my power to its fullest, right? We've all, yeah. I've been the subject of that. And, um, and, and, and the mum is just trying to inform them that she's not emotionally equipped to handle this. And it becomes such a big thing. So the video goes out. Lots of people are like, what the fuck is happening? Including loads of people on the left, by the way. This isn't just a right wing thing. Like you, who think that it looks, you know, troubling. And then initially the, the West Yorkshire police come out in vague support of like, well, there was a context to this story. So we'll wait for it all to come out. And then they went, actually, uh, let's just fucking move on. Which suggests that <laughs> the, the body cam stuff didn't do them any favours whatsoever. I mean... At this point, I just I don't understand. For a lot of people, one of the aggravating parts about this is going to be how hard it is to get the police to attend anything and how many police were in attendance for this. Yeah, I mean, there's so many police to, to arrest. I mean, you saw like, there's like seven police officers uh, carting away this seven, this uh, this 16-year-old girl or however old she do you was. Th do you think there's like a squad, like a, an attack squad, that are just like a SWAT team for if somebody says something bigoted? You know, they won't go to burglaries or violent assaults, but they're, they're deployed on helicopters. Well, yeah, this is the thing. The police have become so politicised and they're so in hoc to this sort of diversity, equity and inclusion uh uh, guidance that yeah they take this stuff super super seriously and don't prosecute uh they, they don't i mean the, the police recently came out and said oh we're gonna we're gonna start um turning up to all burglaries and trying to trying to solve them it's like you weren't doing that already you know what <laughs> i mean that's like a real crime that's not like somebody the, the uh this the hate crime stuff i think we need we need to get this out, out of the police because it's it's about feelings you know they say this person's under their feeling feelings hurt uh, instead of, and this is this is what's happened to the whole left. It's become about, you know, the left used to be about getting material uh, benefits for for working class and, and poorer people. Uh, so, you know, food, better housing, all the rest of it. Um, and now it's become about the feelings of uh, of you know who they imagine to be the the underclass now, which is uh, you know they they say marginalised. So, you know, people with funny genders and and you know uh, LGBTQ people and stuff like that. But it's not about, it's moved away from like actually materially improving people's lives 
to just Im- improving the sort of the way they're spoken about. And yeah, man, the police have got to got to get get away from that because they're. I mean, it's not like there's no crime in this country to deal with. Now, obviously, the mum's going to say, "Oh, she just said I've got a lesbian nana." There is a chance that this girl said that in a different way, right? Um, you, you, we every time something happens off camera, I'm always a bit suspicious. You go, okay, even if that was the case. A 16-year-old girl who's repeatedly told that she's got autism, is there a chance that the copper in this case could just suck it up a little bit to negate yeah. the situation? Because I'd imagine the police get called all sorts of shit. I mean, you see these videos where people just calling people police fat bastards and ugly and pedos <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. But then when it comes down to like an identity issue, for some reason, it's this massive trump card that, that, that is somehow more serious than, you know, somehow more serious than somebody throwing a fucking Molotov cocktail in their direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the only reason the police didn't prosecute it is because, you know, under the technicality of the law, so the accused are committing a homophobic public order offence, which which can only be committed in public. And this was said in a private dwelling. So so it's the wrong wrong offence. And, you know, in court, the judge would be like, well, this is, you know, just by the letter of the law, this, this doesn't work. Um, otherwise, I think the police might have just pushed through and been like, "No, we're gonna we're gonna nail this autistic girl." The other thing about autism <laughs> is uh, is it, a lot of autistic people have a sort of very literal, uh, reality based worldview, and this is why this is why they get into trouble when they come up against the sort of gender ideologists. You know, people are you've got to refer to me as a woman and you know all all that sort of stuff because you know some autistic people can't help but just see the reality of you know this mm. is a bloke bloke in a frock or. Uh, you know, in this case, she was. She's like, oh, this this police officer looks like my lesbian nana. Uh, she, the, according to the mother, there's no homophobic intent because obviously she loves her nana. Her nana's a lesbian in a relationship with a woman and stuff. Um, but the the police can still, you know, anybody. The way hate crime legislation works is it's the perception and how you feel, and that's why, man, hate crime legislation is just doomed. Because if it's about perception and how you feel, how do you how do you like? prove a feeling in court and yeah i mean it must be an inconvenient for them when it turned out that must be a nightmare moment that she really did have a lesbian nana they're like oh fuck and the other <laughs> thing was was that you saw these male coppers there who looked fa- like fairly straight down the line straight guys and there, a couple of them you just caught the expressions on their face where they're like um fuck like because they're going on the one hand <laughs> yeah. i don't really want to be on 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 camera while a le- an autistic girl is punching herself in the head because she's so distressed. Equally, yeah. I don't want to be on camera just taking it lightly that one of my lesbian colleagues feel like she's been abused. And I would always say this, you know, when we talk about the police, we see the bad stuff. So I know uh, there are coppers that listen to this and you must just have your head in your hands when stuff like this makes the press. But uh, it does seem like, uh, you know, a moment that where, you know, most decent thinking people came to a similar conclusion. <laughs> Just going to finish uh, with a, with the letters section here. We've got a question here from an anonymous patron. Um, massive personal question, okay? And you'll see why he wants to... Sorry, I'll go again. So we've got a question here from an anonymous uh, board member level patron. I was due to attend my best mate's wedding as best man, as best man on Saturday. Me and my mates who were groomsmen got a text saying the wife didn't want us part of the wedding party. We, we still went and was civil, but how do you approach the future relationship with my mate? Uh, Remain nameless. I mean, I don't want to put anything on you here, but what the fuck happened? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think, you know, you talk about what most people think. I'd be thinking a text the night before, right? 
it feels like, and I'm not, I don't want to victim blame here, lads, but that's going to be people's first instinct. But let's go on the basis that that nothing happened. Are you wrongans? You know, but like well-meaning wrongans. Is she? Is she quite posh? And your your mates working class, and you're like you're like his legacy mates. And she wants him to move more towards the aspirational friends. That sometimes you see that at a wedding, don't you? You go, you don't realise which one you are until you turn up. You go, oh, I'm, I'm the wrong and friend. I didn't even fucking know that. Um, how do you approach the future relationship with my mate? Well, I would say that he's already dead inside. I think it's have a have a have a memorial service for your friend because yeah, he's he, gone. He's gone. Yeah, and you should you should have known as soon as he turned up wearing a cardigan. You should have known that guy wasn't coming back. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that, that would have turned up, like, you hadn't seen him for a few months, and he turns up restyled. I did a routine yeah. on the last tour about this, but he's wearing a turtleneck, and his <laughs> hair is a bit a bit busy, shall we say, and you've got the sense that there are straighteners involved. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's gone. He's gone. You know, you, had a, you just look at it, you had a good run with him. Any relationship like this where the wife could do something like that is going to fuck up at some point, right? So it's your job as friends to just kind of hang in there it is tricky, isn't it? Because we have a culture which discusses the way that men fail women in relationships a lot. This kind of thing doesn't really get as much airtime, does it? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, men do need to have more sort of relationship training, if you know what I mean. Because, like, women talk about this stuff all the time. Yes. And, yeah. like, man, women's magazines and stuff, you open them, it's all, like, what to do to, you know, get get a man or or uh, or, you know, how to... How to be more Machiavellian in a relationship? How to how to destroy a man's life more quickly and efficiently? It's all stuff like that. <laughs> that Where sounds like a great title for a left wing book, by the way. How to destroy a man's life more quickly and efficiently? <laughs> the Snow White way. Whereas men, we we don't we don't really do that. And when we do try, like there was that uh, about ten years ago, there was like pickup artist stuff, and um, you know, so it's men basically talking about discussing the best ways to chat up women. And that was immediately smashed out of our hands. We were told, you know, no, you can't, yeah, yeah. that's misogynist. No, you've got to just keep on blundering into situations with no idea <laughs> what to do. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a shame. I think most of that pickup art stuff was, was pretty healthy and just like teaching men how to be sociable. So we, I think, so the answer is on, on the basis that nothing bad happened on the stag do, obviously we think that your friend is, is, is temporarily dead inside. You just yeah. think of him as sort of in a personality coma. Uh, yeah. But I will, I will once again echo that most people listening to this and almost every single woman is going to be going, what the fuck happened? So if you want to get in touch for next <laughs> week's episode, uh, I am now on a nosy level. I'm interested. Uh, we'd love to know. <laughs> Okay, uh, that is all uh, for this week. Um, I'll be back uh, with next week with another episode. And, and Leo, uh, thanks so much for appearing again, mate. I, I, can't, I can't think of anything you said that, that is super controversial, but I'm sure that there'll be something in there. So uh, <laughs> let, let's, uh, let's sit and brace for the backlash. Well, we hope you have a great fringe, man. Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. And I'll see everybody next week back on What Most People Think.